Hey everybody, this is Random Chatterings episode 45. I'm Arla Rodriguez and my special guest today is... Maya Hollis. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm making sure that I'm not making too much noise. Because um, I've noticed that in the past I've, I've heard that my... Uh, uh, sometimes my sound goes a little, like, it gets a little... Uh, distorted because I scream mm-hmm. too loud, so I'll try to keep that to a minimum today. Um, <laughs> because today we have a very special treat. Um, Maya, why don't you tell um, everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I am a writer based in Los Angeles. I um, am the creator and writer of a series called Or Die Trying, which should be coming out next year. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's really cool. Um, I, I've been following your project since, uh, actually since you guys have been following me on Twitter, as a matter of fact. Oh, cool. Um, and I know that you have raised uh, $20,000 on Kickstarter. About $20,000, yeah. I believe? Yes, on Seat and Spark. On Seat and Spark, is- excuse mm-hmm. me. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, <laughs> no worries. Um, and uh, I believe that you wrapped up um, principal photography in blah, 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 just like October, like mid-October? Yes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so, um, I guess for the people who don't know, what is Or Die Trying all about? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a series about women, um, written by a woman and directed by a woman, starring women. So there's a lot of girl power, uh, which is very prominent <laughs> in <laughs> our current uh, country state. What's going on? Um, oh, but right. Yeah, we are recording this in the post-Trump America. In the we? post-Trump America, very scary times. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's a story basically about uh, four women living in L.A. in the entertainment industry in different aspects of the, the industry. Um, so we have a writer, character, an actress, a journalist, and a comedian, and just kind of the ups and downs that they go through being women in the industry and just being millennials in the world, I guess. Right. Um, I guess what, um, is it because you've had experience with each of those, um, those different types of, well, I want to say archetypes, but those careers that you specifically chose those characters, um, those, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, those characters for the, for the, for the show? Or was it just an idea you kind of wanted um, to just see what you could do with? Yeah, it's, um, well, the writing character is actually, is obviously based a lot on myself. And the actor character is based a lot on Sarah um, before she, Sarah is our, um, my other executive producer. Um, and before she came into producing, she was in acting. So this initially, initially began with a project that we were coming up with about a writer and an actor kind of showing the duality of those two lifestyles and uh, just a very slice of life every day um, uh, depiction of that. And then when we brought on Jenny Austin, who plays Amelia in the series, the journalist character, and Chelsea London Lloyd, who plays Bailey, who is the comedian. Um, that's what they both do in real life. And so it's kind of each of our little corners of the industry. And these characters are based very heavily on ourselves in real lives, but also they're very different people at the same time. Are they, um, are the, I'm sorry, uh, the journalist and the actor, uh, the comedian, they're, are they also part of the writing team? No, it's just me. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh my God. You're, so you're the solo writer? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's really awesome. Thank you. Um, is this your... Um, we're going to dive a little bit deep, deeper into the project itself, but uh, I just want to know a little bit more about yourself. Um, is this your first large-scale project, and what have been some of the challenges of making this series? 
this is my first uh, large scale project. Um, there have been so many challenges um, because we're an indie project, which there's always challenges in and of itself with uh, finances and um, just making everything run smoothly, especially with such a large production. Um, in the time constraints, we shot the entire eight uh, episode season in five and a half days. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. That was a challenge in and of itself to organize that, to make that happen on the budget that we had. Um, and then writing, obviously, um, I actually wrote uh, five episodes of the season a year ago around the time that we came up with the concept. And uh, I'm the type of writer who I like really uh, dark, realistic, <laughs> like I'm like straight up like Black Mirror type stuff, like not so much sci-fi, but I yeah. just love things that are really, really truthful and to the point of not being cheesy, I guess. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so when I initially wrote the first half of the season, um, I it was a little too light for me. It was a little too web series, uh, so to speak. No disrespect to any of the other wonderful web series, but it was just too, <laughs> uh, you know, we would give the girls one situation and like, you know, six minutes to to solve whatever problem each episode and it was very much like that and mm -hmm. so i threw away five episodes that i wrote um and then i wrote the new pilot um in january of 2016 i believe and um so a big challenge was figuring out how to make the story more complex how to um kind of weave all of the storylines together together better instead of making each episode kind of stand on its own mm -hmm. um and to make it just darker a little bit um yeah, yeah and so that was that was a big challenge for me and then also um working with a director pretty much for the first time on something that i've written but that that turned into an amazing challenge our director was fantastic and uh we were definitely one mind on set which was an amazing experience so when you're thinking about continuity, at least for the series, are you um, are you basing this like a like a Netflix kind of mentality in terms of how the key, the story progresses, or just maybe like different? I guess a different example of serialized storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, well, our, that's a great question. It's everything that I do, everything that I write is more the style of a Netflix or an HBO. Um, just because that's what I'm into. I like that those are the two companies that really give you a lot of uh, freedom as a creator to really follow your vision. So I would say that that's what we we're aiming for is a Netflix or an HBO tone. Um, and then just very integrated, um, complex storylines. So we wanted, you know, we wanted you to follow all, all four characters arcs completely over the eight episodes so you get the full story for the season for each girl over all eight episodes as opposed to dedicating certain episodes to certain girls which is initially how it was designed um and uh, because of that and because each episodes or each of the episodes are going to be around 10 minutes it was complex to try to get four different storylines compacted into such a small time frame right because i'm kind of thinking um, 10 minutes because that was, that was going to be my next question um, mm -hmm. it kind of makes you think about like the way that maybe like a feature would be um, um, constructed maybe considering if, if it was well let's say eight, it's eight, eight, eight episode order is what you're saying eight episodes so that's about yeah. eight, 80 minutes um, mm -hmm. but were you really like trying to like strictly stay within like the 
episodic format rather than having I mean, even though it is in the continuous story, not having it be like a feature. No, we definitely stayed more episodic. I think that um, if you put all eight episodes together and tried to watch it as one piece, um, you could do it the same way you could binge a Netflix show and get the full concept of the show. But right. it could it it wouldn't appear to be a longer piece that's been cut down into eight, eight parts. It, they're very distinctly uh, eight different episodes so um yeah we we definitely we structured our entire production like a tv set um and we we read everything very by the book um that includes our our scripts and our development that way yeah um oh geez was my previous question oh right in regards to the i guess the darker material i guess what exactly um does that entail um (laughs) (laughs) um because I, 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 as a writer, as a, as a budding writer, I should say, uh, I have, I've written some things. I'm still like, I'm still a student at college, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to impress you, but I know how. No, no, no that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know how difficult it must be to write something and have it be taken, not just taken seriously, but like you, for yourself to take it seriously. So, um, right. yeah, I guess what, 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 what were some of the things that you wanted to touch on that you didn't? that you felt like you didn't touch on in your, in the first drafts of the, of the pilot. Well, not just the pilot, but like the five episode that you had previously mm-hmm. written. Um, well, the, to put both of those, both versions of the scripts together or to put them side by side, they would look like two totally different shows. Um, in the first one, we just made lighter content. It was, um, the web series, most web series just tend to err on the side of lighter and quicker because that's how people consume content online. Is it needs, They don't want something super heavy or super long online. Um, and so initially we designed it to be very fun episodes that, you know, still had a little bit of the complexity as far as the character development. Um, but the, our characters weren't going through the same arch as they are um, in this new season. Um so I think that as far as like the darker elements, we just threw a lot of like real life in there and we didn't, and it was the same way in the initial scripts. We just didn't delve into some of the things that you go through, but in this one, we really didn't shy away from uh, just how, uh, how people cope with things and some of the things that you do and the repercussions of those actions and just how that can affect not only your personal, but your professional and how those two things kind of, um, affect each other I guess so we we definitely didn't shy away from some of the the you know shadier sides of human nature I guess <laughs> oh they definitely exist they're definitely there mm-hmm, um, for sure um right so I guess what what um what are some films or tv shows that you have been inspired by during the making of or die trying or just inspired by just in your in, in your life in general um, my number one show ever by my favorite writer is Grey's Anatomy. I think that Grey's has had such a long run so far. It's on season 13, which is insane. And I'm a later fan. I know it's crazy. <laughs> I'm uh, a fan that just caught on about, you know, four or five years ago. So I wasn't even here since the beginning with Grey's. But um, <laughs> it's just it's done everything. Every storyline that you could have on a TV show, Grace has explored it and like excelled. Um, 
and Jishanda's career and her work ethic and her mentality and the way that she sees the world and all of that is something that I identify with. And Grey's is a show that's on in my house for at least three hours every day. It's one of those things. It's like my background <laughs> noise of my life. Um, so I love that. But I also watch everything. I watch so much TV that it's hard to get any work done sometimes. Uh, but that's definitely my go-to for sure. Yeah, t TV can be a very addicting thing. And um, yes. <laughs> I, um, I recently uh, I watched uh, two seasons of Louie for a podcast mm -hmm. with one of my friends. And um, it, I just, you know, you know, sometimes when you watch a certain TV show for enough time that you just start imagining yourself like the characters, or just like your life just kind of converts into the TV show yeah. for a little bit. It's like when I watch uh -huh. The Simpsons, like I feel like my life is a bit more animated. I know that sounds kind of pretentious, <laughs> but that's just what happens. Yeah, it's true. That's what good TV does, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Louis. Oh, God. I, I just love Louis so much. I still need to see the fifth season. Yeah, it's really good. Um,. Okay, so <clears throat> uh, why uh, why do you think it has taken so long for women filmmakers to be taken more seriously by the public? And have your thoughts on this issue been reflected in the series itself? Um, I think that the industry is just such a boys club. Many industries are. We're not unique in that um, with the, the film industry. We're not the only industry that has gender equality issues for sure. But... It's just been such a boys club that there just aren't the opportunities. You have to, I don't know, I think that women these days, we're just coming together more and we're not waiting for people to give us those opportunities. We're creating them, not only for ourselves, but for each other. But I think that it's just hard to break out of that systematic uh, norm that has been just men right. as every... Uh, Fasted in the industry, like men in every position, it's hard to break out of that when that's been the norm since the beginning of the development of the industry. And I think that um, that's definitely something that's the, not only the like pulse behind our our project is kind of breaking out of that and kind of empowering women and creating something not only by women but specifically for women because there's something special when women tell our own stories. Um, there's you can't you can't perfect a, a perspective unless you've lived it and I think that with all of the the male writers and directors and producers trying to tell like stories about women or some of them aren't even trying they're just throwing in like a token hot girl in the movie and that's it <laughs> but you you can't fully you can't fully tell a story about something that you've never experienced so I right. think that that's been a, a main thing in our series but also with us had with the story being about women in the industry specifically we definitely do touch on how hard that is and some of the struggles that come along with that and how you can kind of overcome it or how overcoming it is like a continuous process uh because the second you think that you're like killing it is the second that somebody reminds you oh but you're a girl and you'll never be quite killing it the way you think that you are um so that's something that we're trying to change with this and then also with the conversation that that we that we you know build around our series yeah and i think that uh, the, i think that one of the biggest issues and i mean we, we've kind of seen this um with uh i think most recently the ghost in the shell um trailer was released and 
there was a lot of blowback. Um, I think even before, I think when we was announced, um, because there's a lot of um, Asian. Uh, there's not a lot of Asians, I should say, or barely any. Um, <laughs> um, and I think some, some of the justification. Hold on, let me finish that thought before that sounds strange. Um, <laughs> that there aren't many Japanese actors, or there haven't been much casting in terms of Japanese people. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson, as great as she is, she's. I think she's kind of. There's seems like it's kind of like a, a specific reason why the studios are like they're like looking for. Um, white people to be uh, it, I mean I think to an extent it, it's hard to not see it as anything else other than just like marketing or just like this is the most marketable idea we're trying to like make back all the money that we're that we're investing into this and the only way we, that we'll get people to watch it is if there's a familiar face on it or something like that mm-hmm. and I think that's it's like what you were saying like with um um, male writers who try to write stories about women and then they have to include like a sexy character. It's like, it feels like that's just like a markable idea. It's just like, oh, if we put this character in, they'll probably get more people to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> I am trying to write my own screenplay about my mother, actually. And uh, I definitely, definitely have even hesitated even trying to attempt to do it because I am not my mother. I've observed my mother and I observed my brother, who's also going to be a featured character in the screenplay, but it's like... Am I naive to think that I could tell her story? Especially because it, it, like, I'm specifically making it as unmarketable as possible. Like, it's a 55-year-old woman with a 15-year-old teenager, and it's about, like, um, like she tries to become, like, a, a dominatrix or something like that. Kind of like, you know, just like something a little bit of a taboo subject matter. But still, mm-hmm. at the same time, it's... It's like, I do think about that and I wonder, like, do, and I know there's been one instance I've written something and someone said, oh, oh this doesn't sound like a woman, this sounds like a guy, and it's like, yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, so that's definitely something I've thought about when I've been trying, because i trying to write more complex characters, especially like mm-hmm. more complex male characters, female characters. That's definitely something I've been pondering a lot. Yeah, it's hard, it takes work, but... It's not impossible for a guy to write a solid female character, especially since it is your mom, that is somebody that you know and whose story you want to honor and respect. And I think that that goes a long way with that. That's not always the case in the industry that there are people are writing about people that they know and that they care about. Um, and as far as, you know, the industries, uh, the the kind of whitewashing of, of uh, characters of color that happens in the industry, I think it's just studios and producers not giving their audience enough credit that if you do put the right people in these roles, that people are still going to show up and they're going to see it. You know, it's the same thing when you have, you know, a certain amount of African-American people in a movie, then it just becomes a black movie. And they don't give they don't give the white the white audience enough credit to say that they will see this just because it's a good movie. Um, and I think that we're kind of breaking out of that a little bit um, with yeah. the diversity that's happening with shows like, you know, Insecure or Atlanta or uh, I have to see Insecure. I don't have HBO, so I can't, I haven't uh, been able to see it. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. Um, I'm very proud of Issa. I've been following her since she was on YouTube. So I'm very proud of her. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, it's just a lot. It's, 
when you write down to what you think people expect, you're underestimating your audience that they that they can see the world as it is and that they don't you don't have to paint this false reality for them. Uh, so hopefully that's something that we can move away from with the continued diversity happening on TV. Um, this is going to be a very weird question, but it just came kind of came up. Do you mm -hmm. think that or die trying is a marketable idea in terms of do you think that if you actually tried to pitch this idea or had tried to pitch this idea to a TV to a TV studio or film studio, do you think it, it would have ever been picked up? I think that, well, it's kind of a trick question because we're web content, you know, we're a digital series. So in that sense, probably not. You usually need to produce a first season of, of a digital series before people understand that it's going to do well and they take a chance on it because digital media is so new. Right. Um, if we were a 30-minute um, or a 60-minute you know, series, then that may be different. I think that our idea is very suitable for like a Netflix or an HBO. Um, and especially with those being companies that are really liberal with what they pursue. Um, and that's why they have some of the best content on TV right now. But, you know, it's hard for, for a digital c series. You do have to kind of prove yourself because unless you can prove yourself, there's not always money in digital series. They really are passion projects. But then once they show, they prove themselves as, you know, marketable once they prove themselves as like people will tune in for this then people are more willing to take a chance but then usually that chance comes in the form of okay let's turn this into a 30 minute format you know let's turn this into a broad city or an insecure both of which came from youtube do you know so i didn't know broad city came from youtube broad city was like a two minute youtube show oh, like a two minute per episode like one scenario per episode youtube show for like the first like season or two yeah and then it got the attention of amy poehler and she's the one who helped bring it to uh comedy central Ooh. yeah that's <laughs> awesome i i think i know what i'm doing tonight <laughs> <laughs> oh never mind actually no it's kind of late i don't think i should do that maybe i'll do it tomorrow yeah um we should uh we should take our break uh a break uh, a break break yeah. we, let's take a break <laughs> when we come back, i'm sorry <laughs> uh, when we come back um, more with uh, Maya Hollis um, writing creator of Or Die Trying thank you alright we'll be right back everyone
Uh, and we're back. Uh, taking us back in is Yuri Yurin Drin 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 by Name for a Middle School Amusement Club. No. <laughs> Almost did it without laughing. <laughs> Almost did it without laughing. Uh, right. Um, uh, wait, hold on. I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I actually did ask this, but I'll ask it anyway. And if I did, I apologize. Uh, what are what are some of the issues that women filmmakers face that people just don't know about? Um, I I think that I think that they're all really obvious. I think you know it's less about people not being aware and more about whether or not they care or you know whether it's priority. But it's just it's just honestly just boils down to a lack of opportunity. It's mm-hmm. hard to there's so it's so hard to to break into the industry in general and the fact that the statistics of women working in the industry are so low it just makes that already impossible uh that impossible situation even harder you know there's just the statistics are like disgusting and the fact that it's already such a a shot in the dark trying to be an actor or a writer or a producer or a director um, or a crew, a crew member. I think that we're capable of doing these jobs and we know that we are, which is why we're doing them for ourselves now. But it's the powers that be need to give us those chances. And it's harder for a woman once you get a chance, if it doesn't go well, like once a, a female director directs something, if it's not a hit, it's like almost impossible for her to get another chance. Whereas a guy can screw up and get another movie, you know? So, or he can be an asshole too. Or he can be a jerk. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas when you're a girl, you you almost have to tiptoe because you don't want to be labeled as difficult because that will follow you. You know, you don't want to be labeled as like a bitch because that'll follow you. Right. So um, it's just, it's very political. You really have to um, play the game the way the system is set up now. And we're trying to get it to a point where it's based on merit and it's based on work and it's based on experience and talent. And that's it. And where it's an evil, it, even playing field uh, for both genders is where we want it to go. But it's going to be a long road because, like I said, the foundation of this industry is one that's very male dominated. Right. Um, so to break out of that is going to take a while, but it's work that needs to be put in or else nothing's going to change. You're not going to fix a, a system that they don't feel is broken because the people, <laughs> the people who it's working for right now are the people it's been working for since the beginning, you know, so they don't see the issue with it. But it's the women and the minorities who are underrepresented who um, are going to have to be the people who demand that it change. I was just thinking, um, because if there's any bigger indication of how little women representation there has been, I mean, I know there's been a lot more representation, representation, I cannot speak English today, (laughs) recently, um, because there's a lot more um filmmakers women female filmmakers going out there um like in terms of like the more historically important um women fingers i can think of i can only think of um i think yeah i think her name is alice guy blash who was a french filmmaker at the same time of of george or george Millet and of the lumiere brothers mm-hmm. i don't think anybody knows who she is um and she's like one of the most important pioneering filmmakers um um Catherine Bigelow is the only, one of the only uh, female directors I can think of. Um, at least one of the most like successful ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thelma Schoonmaker, 
if that's her name, and I apologize if that's not your name <laughs> or the last name, but like Scorsese's editor. Yeah. She is, she has that great quote about Taxi Driver about how, and I'm paraphrasing the quote, saying how the film wasn't violent until I, until I edited it together. But it didn't have mm-hmm. that violent element to it. Um, but I'm thinking that now, because there is a lot more, I think that there are a lot more opportunities given, not enough opportunities, but more. Definitely, we are going to hopefully get to the point that, yeah, that, that we get to the uh, quality that you were uh, talking about earlier. Uh, it's just kind of unfortunate, though, because I, I think that, not, not only that it's male-dominated, but I think that's because early on there's something about star power or like creating stars and and uh, manufacturing stars like it's already kind of been like people like women have been treated like dolls that kind of just you know like displayed and they would have their particular personality manufactured for films and like all these uh, this um i'm thinking of joan Joan crawford is one example but she became a very particular kind of actor as time went on but just Mm -hmm. you know it's like people weren't like, like it would be really hard to be to break out of that system when it was it's been working for as long as it, it's been nearly a century, and only now yeah. is the sh- it's, it's starting to it, it's taking a while and it's gonna take a bit longer for like the shift the dynamic to shift entirely, and uh, there's even people that still think uh, you know what I, I like it this way, or they say horrible things about people trying to. They say, like, you're a social justice warrior. Like, I don't know. They try to minimize the issue. I, it's... It, it, I don't understand why it has to be... Or people have made it as difficult, even in, in our own... In, in, the, in our contemporary era that, than it has been. Yeah, it's... I mean, anything that's deeply rooted is just hard to change. And... When a system is working for a group of people, they're not going to, especially when they're the people who are in power, they're not going to think that it needs to change because it's working for them. So they can't see that it's, or they don't care that it's not working for others. But isn't that like the theme of this country, honestly? So, <laughs> um, I, you know, unfortunately, art always, art always imitates life. So there's that. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about, actually, I was thinking about this Tumblr that I read a while ago. Um, I think I'm still subscribed to it or I'm still follow it, but it's like the anonymous stories of women filming, women, the people working in the film industry, and the stories I've heard have been horrendous. Just, just sometimes it's just like, okay, well, alright, fine. If you still think that women don't deserve those opportunities, fine, but why do you still have to t- treat them like garbage? Like... The things I've—I don't know. Maybe I should, maybe I should send you this Tumblr. Just—it's um, just upsetting, and it's just like—it's not even that they're women. It's—it's it's not even that people are mistreating women. It's more that people are mistreating human beings that just want to be accepted, and we're treating them this way. And it's like, why? Why is that our? Why is that some people's default mentality? They just like disenfranchise people. It's just, why? Yeah. I don't know. Uh. Sorry, I'm getting very caught up in this. I'm very passionate about this. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Um, is season two of Or Die Trying your next project, or is there something else in the horizon? 
I mean, honestly, I've been in this ODT bubble for like over a year and a half now. So right now, my only, my main focus is post-production. Season two is going to happen, but it's a far away concept right now. I'm not even, I already actually know the storylines for season two. I know what's going to happen already, but um, I haven't thought about the fulfillment of that. I haven't thought about actually getting there because we do have to finish post with season one. We have to um, distribute season one um, and figure out what we're doing as far as that. And so there's just so much to be done. I am, I do have one main project that I'm also working on and then a couple other side projects. But right now, the majority of my energy is going to uh, cutting a good season one. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, 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 fig- I, mean, I, I figured it would be <laughs> naive for me to, uh, <laughs> because you're just, just getting to post-production. Yeah. But I don't know, sometimes, like, one of my friends, um, who's been on the show before, she's, like, she's, she does this, like, um, radio sci-fi comedy, well, I guess it's technically a podcast, it's on iTunes, but, mm-hmm. um, she says, oh, I already have, like, the idea for season two, and then I already have the idea for season three, like, some people can just, like, like, they've got the whole entire mosaic of ideas, like, just yeah. right above their heads. I- I can't go any further than the next season. And the only reason I know what happens with season two is because I had to think about that with season one because of the way we leave season one off. I have to think about the choices I'm going to make for season two to make sure that things make sense. But um, season three, I have no clue because it's... Shonda Rhimes has a... It's not a quote because I don't know the exact quote, but she has this mentality of... Um, when she was writing Grey's and she was writing the first season, she puts everything that she has into each season. And so when she wrote Grey's, the, um, the first season for Grey's, and the studio loved it and said, what do you have planned for the next season? That was her first job in TV was Grey's Anatomy. That's after she came from um, a film background. And she said, I don't know. And that kind of scared the executives at the studio a little bit. Like, what do you mean you don't know what's next? And she said, we're going to have to figure it out. Like, I give you everything I have in this current season, um, all of my ideas, because you never know in TV if there's going to be a, a, a follow-up season. So you do need to use what you have and not anticipate, not be arrogant enough to be like, oh, I'm going to have four more seasons of this because things will get canceled or the funding won't be there and you won't be able to do it. So you do need to give your your audience as much as you can each season but um that being said like i said the way uh the way i wrote the ending for season one i definitely know how things are gonna play out for season two but that's as far as i've i've thought out (laughs) isn't it so funny though like just thinking about how uh, this might even just show that because uh, nowadays the marvel movie um anthology kind of way of um you know, making one superhero movie, then another superhero movie, then a movie with superheroes. Like, I just heard recently, I don't know if this is true or not, but, like, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that's supposed to be, like, an eight-film series or five-film series. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I, I never got into Harry Potter's, so I don't get it, but, um, you know, make that money, I guess. I guess so. I mean, the studios it, are going to know, the studios know to go with what, is going to make money. And because of the wild success of JK Rowling and Harry Potter, um, 
they know that they can pump out as many. They could have kept pumping out Harry Potter books, but I think J.K. Rowling is very precious about her material and never wants to, you know, uh, take advantage of it. But I honestly, I can't see her even being okay with Fantastic Beasts being eight movies. I don't understand. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for for series and for um, movie. Uh, what is the word? series i guess um when they know when to stop i have a lot of respect for right. yeah. for people who know that this is the end even though there's hype like breaking right. bad or yeah. you know um even game of thrones i have a lot of respect for people who are like we know you want more but this is the end of the story right. so i hope that that's the case with fantastic beasts because i don't need eight movies of that oh my <laughs> god um but then I also didn't need eight Harry Potter movies because I literally tried to read Harry Potter for the first time like two years ago yeah. and I realized I'm way too old. <laughs> I'm way too old to be reading about middle school kids. I can't do it. But I also do recognize that they must be fantastic stories to have the audience that they have. I just think that I missed the ship <laughs> with the Harry yeah. Potter books. I guess if there's... Yeah. The only one I'll recommend uh, is uh, the third one, the third film, I should say, not the not the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean all the books. Because I think that's the book Fine. that I stopped on was the third one. Really? I got two chapters into the third one, I said I'm too old, and everybody says they get better as you go on, and I believe it as the characters get older and as the, the books get right. thicker. I think right. that yeah. uh, they get better, but um, I yeah, I just I couldn't do it. Yeah. I think I'll go back and watch the movies at some point, but I was like a Twilight hardcore fan. <laughs> that was like my world. So I feel like back when those those movies were out, you couldn't be both. Like those were like fighting, you know, we were at war. It was like Star Wars versus Star Trek. Like you can't oh like gosh. them both equally. You have to pick a side. <laughs> you know? So I chose Twilight, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> Oh, well, oh my god, that's so true. I haven't seen anything Star Trek. I think the only thing I've seen in Star Trek there. was like Star Trek Into Darkness. Which was um, okay, it was fine. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars girl when it comes <laughs> to the two. And I'm not even a hardcore Star Wars fan. I'm yeah. one of those weird fans that likes the the first, the, the chapters one through three. I prefer those to chapters four through six, which if you like Star Wars, you know that it's like a no-go. You're supposed to love the originals. But I just really like Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, so I'm not apologetic about that. <laughs> um, interesting opinion. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> uh, are you excited for Rogue One? No, because I haven't even seen this new one. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen Force Awakens? I haven't seen it. Um, wow. My all of my family, they're very, very into Star Wars. My cousins, yeah. they take this very seriously. And they... Did not love um, this new one. They didn't love Force Awakens. They felt like it retold chapters four through six just for a new generation. And they didn't think that it was an original story. They thought that it was Disney remaking the original movies right. into one movie. Um, so when they were a little like hesitant and weren't really thrilled about it, and then the creative Star Wars wasn't really thrilled about it after he sold it to Disney. He wasn't even loving it. I was yeah. like, I'm just not going to pay my money for it. And yeah. then once it was like out, I just haven't gotten a chance to. But I'm very proud of like the diversity happening in that movie. I think that's really important to have female leads, to have leads of color and all that. But yeah. um, I just, there were other movies that I, 
I wanted to see that were, you know, they took precedence at the time. So uh, I'll get around to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was like a there was like a grandfather who said he would he would eventually get to watching Wizard of Oz, and now he's seventy two years old, never saw the film, and is saying, "Well, you know what? Maybe I'll just die without watching Wizard of Oz." Honestly, you probably could. I don't think that you've missed anything in life if you haven't seen Wizard of Oz. Honestly. I could have gone my whole life without seeing it, but yeah. um, again, there are a lot of people who that's their all-time favorite movie. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it just, you know, just depends. Yeah, um, I'm just mostly. I mean, I'm also kind of worried that there's going to be franchise fatigue immediately with, you know, with episode eight uh, and then nine and then, oh God, I hope they don't do ten, and the anthology films. Rogue One, though, I think. It just—it's it's a story that hasn't really been told in the Star Wars universe before, and it seems like the tone of it, based on the trailer, the teaser trailer I saw, it seems like it's doing, trying to do something different. It's trying to be more grittier, mm-hmm. not like the. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, not like the heavier, um, less subtle grittiness from Episode Three, but mm-hmm. like, more like you know, it's Star Wars, but we haven't really seen like soldiers die. I don't know. Rogue One seems to be doing something interesting, but I, it's also, I don't know if, even if they'll be able to continue, I don't know. I'm excited for Rogue One, not so excited for the rest, for the future, the rest of the franchise. I think franchise critique will probably happen at some point. Yeah, I'm sure. It always happens. That's, you know, it, it seems like we're kind of stepping out of the, the franchise era. I think we had a really strong franchise era, specifically with... Um, book adaptations you know in the past decade or so it was really big with like the Harry Potters and the Twilights and the Divergent series and the Vampire Diaries even though that was TV and stuff like that we had like a a real big um, craze with adaptations in franchises and I think that just the fact that Divergent is moving to a TV (laughs) movie Oh oh I heard about that yeah, um, I think that, and that's, you know, I love those movies, but I also read the books and really, really loved the books. Um, yeah. But they just didn't do well. I think that people, um, the idea of, and the same thing with like the last Twilight movie didn't do as well as the others. And the same with the Hunger movies, they kind of fell off, the Hunger Games movies kind of fell off as well. So I think that the longer you have a franchise pumping out movies, Unless you're Harry Potter, then people are just going to get tired of it. And then by the last couple of movies, you're going to see box office numbers decreasing. Unfortunately, I think that a a solid movie and then a good sequel, which is rare, but it can be done. A solid movie and a good sequel is like the sweet spot. Um, But then once you get into like a trilogy, then they want to start splitting the last move, the last book into two movies just to make more money. And then you have people following the one story for four years, and nobody has time for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're almost uh, about the end, so I'm going to ask my... Actually, no, eight, you say really question. Answer that. Oh, here we go. So, um, if you had an infinite budget, what would your dream project be? Um, for TV or for film? Um, both. Okay. If, if um, you have a different answer for... for either medium my dream television project would be i don't know i don't specifically know if i had because if i had an unlimited budget i feel like i should do something that costs a lot of money (laughs) like i feel like i should use it 
So I feel That's like right. I should do like a, you know, like a, um, uh, like something in a different era or something with technology yeah, or something action yeah. so that I could like use that budget and it could be super impressive. But that's not my style. My genre is very much like dramedy, my, especially with TV. I like dramatic storylines with everyday comedy and, you know, the things. I just love showing life the way that it actually is as opposed to how we want it to be or how we think it is or, you know, I, I just like showing the realities of what people go through and the realities of human nature and the reasons that people do the things that they do and the repercussions of that. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that it would just be like a really sick dramedy that would be super successful. And then I could have 13 seasons like Shonda Rhimes, even though that's a bit much for me. I think that <laughs> I would want to end around maybe like a season seven is like a good spot for that. I, I think Ending a, a show as like season seven is usually pretty solid. Um, but for film, I think it would be a psychological thriller. Mm. Would be my dream project. I love psychology. I'm a huge psych nerd, actually. Mm. Um, I really uh, want to go back to school for my PhD in clinical psych at some point. I just don't have any time right now. <laughs> but um, every project that I do always has some type of a psychological undertone to it. So yeah. whether it's TV or film, I just like showing all the aspects and the different sides of the human mind and human nature, because I think that that's fascinating. And it's very everyday things, like because we're all humans who experience all of those things, but people like to portray the human experience in a certain light, whether it's super optimistically or super, you know, uh, what is the opposite of optimistic? Pessimistic. <laughs> Pessimistic. <laughs> My brain is shutting down. Um, but yeah, I just like to, I like, I like just to show if I, if these characters existed in their reality and the circumstances that they're living in, what is the thing that they would do as opposed to what do I want them to do or what would people expect them to do? So I think, yeah, I think both of my projects would, air on the psychological side but I think for film it would be a really over-the-top psychological thriller and then for for tv it would be like a dramedy a really cool dramedy most likely about about women in some aspect but uh you know that would be cool somebody give me all the money in the world and then we'll find out what my dream projects are <laughs> about that <laughs> Uh, all right, now for my, my my last question, which actually kind of sums up, it kind of p puts our whole conversation in a bit of an optimistic light. Uh, what inspired you to become a filmmaker, writer? Um, well, I started actually in novels, and my dream initially was to write a really great novel, or maybe two in a, a series, and to adapt that into film and to get into film that way. And then um, I think just how great TV is and how TV is really where the good stories are. They're not really in film right now. They're in television because you can do more and you have a longer time span to tell a story. You don't just have two hours. You have, you know, depending on how long your season is, at least, you know, 10 hours if you're an hour show with like a 10 episode season. Um, and you just have more creativity. And so I interned for um, literary agents when I came out here for school. And that was the 
the, my introduction to the industry was just a lot of script coverage. And I just, I always leaned toward the, the television scripts over the, the feature scripts or the, um, the manuscripts. And I think that TV is just, especially with the, the growth that I think digital content is going to see, I think there's going to be a, like a resurgence of that. I think that, you know, that is going to end up being the future because everything is moving to online platforms. Um, so I'm just excited to, to grow with that as that kind of grows yeah. and to, to see where it goes. But you know, TV is just my entire life. So it makes sense that it be my job too. <laughs> yeah. That sounds really, I'm very hopeful for the, the success of this web series. Um, yeah. Having a chance to compliment the trailer that I saw, which I was very, very impressed by. I'm so happy whenever I hear somebody say that because you don't even understand. We shot that trailer in one day. Holy shit. One day in between, like, we did, like, one scene in Sarah, who, like I said, is my other EP. We did one scene in her apartment in the valley and then drove all the, took our entire crew to Malibu and shot the rest of the trailer in one house in Malibu. And it was the most chaotic, beautiful, <laughs> amazing. It was it was like those uh, forty eight hour film competitions that people have in, yeah. like, in New York. It was like that, but on steroids. <laughs> so the fact that we got such a, a great product was amazing, and it it's been the same experience with the series. Having done you know eighty minutes worth of TV in five and a half days, uh, it was very much blur. But we got the chance to watch the first half of our dailies last week um, as the world burned from the election. <laughs> and we'll be watching <laughs> it was just the the most bittersweet day I've ever experienced um, Trump stole my joy but it's fine and, uh, we'll be watching the second half of our dailies um, tomorrow night we will have another date at our at our editor's uh, suite so it will be fun but it's been great just seeing the quality even under such extreme time constraints so i'm excited for everybody to see eventually <laughs> <laughs> uh that is uh really awesome to hear and i i can't wait to i can't wait to see it once it's finally done well, thank you um maya where can um where can people find you you can find me on the interwebs um i'm honestly i don't even get on social media that much but feel free to follow me or find me at um, Maya Hollis uh, on Inst or on Twitter, and then I think it's, I have like an underscore next to my name, like at the end of my name on Instagram. Because for some reason, somebody stole my handle. Like somebody <laughs> has, has Maya Hollis on Instagram, so I had to stick an underscore afterwards. Who is the other Maya Hollis? Let me know. If anybody knows, let me know because I want my handle. Um, and, my website is Holly Baker, and then also, obviously, you can follow all of our progress on um, at ODT Series is where we are on all of our social media. I'll be sure to link all of those things, your social media stuff included, in the description of this episode once it's up. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, Taking us out today is Your Voice by Rodanthe. As always, you can find our podcast at randomchatterings.weebly.com. You can find us on Twitter at our Twitter handle, at Ranch at Podcast. 
You can email us at ranchhandpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Blueberry by searching Random Chatterings, a silly podcast from silly people. And uh, our question of the week is, what is your favorite female ensemble cast? And for for um, maybe as an alternate question, who is your favorite female director? Um, this has been such a this has been such an eye opening uh, talk for me as well because there's a lot um, that I don't um, there's just you know, there's some experiences that I just don't not fully comprehend comprehend is not the right word but just I'm in such a I'm in, I'm in a particular kind of bubble that I don't mm-hmm. really see beyond those experiences and then like like I said the Tumblr I mentioned before it's gonna it kind of opens my eyes up to these things like this and now projects such as yours is gonna probably illuminate even more people to the challenges of women filmmakers and I'm just really hope that this is like you know like oh gosh metaphor 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 <laughs> the tipping point <laughs> the tipping point that yeah. like really gets like more female projects female-led projects like flowing in I I hope so too for sure well thank you uh, thank you very much for for being on the show of course my pleasure thank you for having me absolutely well, take care, everybody. us on twitter at our twitter handle twitter handle let me try that again <laughs> <laughs> you can <laughs> always always happens 45 <laughs> episodes and i can still never get this right oh <laughs>